After a lousy Monday night performance against the Vikings earlier this season, the Bears bounced back on Sunday and split the season series against their foes from Minnesota. Chicago is a game behind the Arizona Cardinals for the final playoff spot, and it needs to win out to get in. With the Bears' offensive turnaround over the last three games, who should get the credit for the success? Tune in and subscribe to find out. So, Drew, the Bears are coming in at 7-7 seven and seven after a division win this past weekend up in Minnesota. The Bears definitely are responding in a positive fashion by uh, bouncing back with two wins in a row. And they've got the Jaguars coming up this week, who are arguably the worst team in the NFL. What impressed you the most about the Bears this past weekend? Well, I think we talked about four weeks ago or so, um, the lack of execution from what seemed to be this kind of the semblance of really good game plans. And so I think this week the Bears really executed on the game plans that we saw in the past, like even way back, way, way back in that Colts game, the game plans were there, but there's no execution. And so we did go through a lull this season where then coaches game plans became really bad and, then they got good again, and but there was no execution. This week we saw where there was a decent game plan and the elite execution that we needed. Um, that said, we don't really know if the Vikings did not look how they looked earlier in the season. The defense certainly seemed decimated during the game. Everything we should take with a grain of salt, but it's encouraging to see that the Bears are finally following through on the expectations. Sure. I think it definitely poses an interesting argument heading into the offseason in terms of if the Bears should, you know, think about resigning Mitch to a one-year deal or a two-year deal. Because, I mean, that was, in my opinion, the best game Mitch has played all year, with the exception of that one interception he threw in the end zone, which we'll talk about later. But Well, well, the, at this point, Mitch holds the cards. He's been playing so well, and it's mm-hmm. not like – the Bears would be gifting him a one or two year deal. It's really up to Mitch at this point. Um, and he's, he's going to get paid in my opinion. I mean, he plays better than a lot of quarterbacks around the league. And even like, if, I don't know if you watched the Monday night game, but you know, Ryan Finley, he's great and all, but aside from doing better on the Wonderlick test before the draft, <laughs> he doesn't really have anything on Mitch Trubisky at this point. Mm-hmm. Mitch is faster. He can throw better. He, it's just a, a much more dynamic player to defend. And, you know, it, it took a player like Ryan Finley, an entire game plan surrounded on him or centered on him to win a game, whereas Mitch Trubisky has kind of navigated the waters of Matt Nagy's honestly wild system that for some reason takes three years for a quarterback to figure out. And it's apparently the quarterback's fault, but I disagree with that. But you know, Mitch is no doubt better than a player like Ryan Finley. You know, like he's clearly a different level than a backup. And right. so I don't I don't think that the Bears hold the cards in these negotiations. And so to say that like Mitch would get a one or two year deal, I think that's not realistic. I think the Bears are either gonna have to do something a little bit more player friendly or they're gonna have to part ways and begin again. So that that, that that's just the way it's going to go with the way that the previous year and a half has gone in terms of like relations between Mitch's parties and the bears and just the, the, the just the situation in the locker room. That's just how it is. 
Well, it is interesting because Trubisky, obviously, he's well-liked by his teammates. And, you know, they're in a high-pressure job. Being a professional athlete or a professional football player is tough. You're paid the big bucks to perform because of that pressure. I mean, looking at Mitch's career with Chicago, he's had a pretty good career. It's just they're everyone's expecting him to be the next Aaron Rodgers when they drafted him but he hasn't been there and he hasn't hit met the standards of uh, Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes, who we've heard comparisons ad nauseum about. Um, that being said, though, there has been a lot of growth this past year from Trubisky, and I don't know with his benching in the third game against the Falcons if that has spoiled the relationship between Nagy, Pace, and Trubisky. Obviously, Trubisky has the tools to be a starting quarterback in this league, like you said. And a guy who I think is similar to him or vice versa is um, uh, I'm thinking of Ryan, um, the guy from the Texan or the Titans, Ryan um, Tannehill. Tannehill. Sorry, I blanked for a second. But I think they're very similar in the, in the way they play games in terms of they both throw a nice ball. They both are athletic and not are they're not just throwers. They, they can run if they need to. And what I what was really nice about watching Trubisky this past weekend was him having the poise and presence of mind to get out of the pocket and trust his instincts again. I think the biggest thing I've noticed, and I guess it's taken me a while to arrive at this assessment, he was not trusting his instincts. He was trying to compute all the information thrown at him instead of just being a football player and going off of instinct. And when the pocket would collapse, he would, he'd get out and get a positive gain. And even just using his legs to extend plays was awesome. Yeah. Well, we, talked about how he may have, may have been overthinking earlier in the year having just that culture set and that standard set before the season of having Foles right behind him. And so we always talk, you always hear about Matt Nagy's culture for the team, and I don't think it's necessarily a good one. I, I don't believe that because the culture that was set made him second-guess himself in the pocket. And so that, and your comparison to Tannehill is really interesting because Tannehill is, is sort of a, a journeyman. And so the idea that Mitch might not be back in Chicago would also line up with Tannehill's uh, career trajectory, um, which it, it just is kind of intriguing to me. But, but I, 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 I trust Mitch Trubisky. I mean, there were reports from Sports Illustrated about how he wanted to get David Montgomery and Cole Matt more involved in the offense. And I think that that's a no brainer. When we were talking about the run game earlier in the season, it, when you don't have the great blocking and that should be under, we'll talk about the online, but the blocking was bad because they were decimated by injury. And so when you don't have that, you should get your running backs out in space. And so I think Mitch has a much better understanding of football than people give him credit for. Um, I, I just think that it was a cultural standard in the organization that may have, force him to be in a situation that didn't allow him to perform at his best. So, so that's kind of where I stand. I, I almost seem, I'm seeing a lot of problems in just the, like the approach that the bears took this season, because the past two weeks, yeah, we felt good. You felt good, right. About the bears the past two weeks. I do. I mean, the bears have pieces. The thing is like all their young guys are performing now, like are at a more consistent basis. You've seen the, Everybody feels good about them the past two weeks. Right. We can't let that, that can't be the excuse for us remembering how bad we felt during that losing streak. And so I, I think everybody needs to remember that a, a quality coach would not allow 
that long of a losing streak to happen. They would do something earlier. They would get through it earlier. And the fact that it took so long to make the appropriate changes, which I think you would probably attribute to Bill Lazor, um, knowing you, David, I, I feel like you might attribute it to a lot of that creativity and the play calling that you you really um, underscored to me earlier. And, and so a better coach would have, would have set aside the ego and made that change earlier. And so I don't think we can forget how bad it got this year, even though the Bears have a chance of the playoffs. And if they don't make the playoffs, if they do make the playoffs, that's to be said. We'll figure that out two weeks from now. But you can't forget this this whole season and the kind of whole debacle over benching Mitch after playing three solid games. He wasn't terrible. And we were told he had a short leash. And then we were shown how Nick Foles had a much looser or longer leash than Trubisky had. He made way worse plays than Trubisky did in the first three games. And so the different standards, the double standard, and just the our seemingly arbitrary culture that was set by the head coach, I think was really concerning. And we can't forget that when we're moving into next season and setting our expectations as fans and viewers for what we want out of the team in 2021. Sure. I mean, what is interesting, Drew, is – I think when Nagy made the decision to bench Trubisky against the Falcons, the Bears were in a deep, deep hole against a not a great team, and the Bears needed a spark. So I do agree with that decision. What is interesting is I think he might have been feeling the pressure from media and fans, and maybe he noticed something that Trubisky was missing on a couple of things, and that's why he decided to go with Foles. I think another thing that might have <clears throat> pushed that decision as well, <clears throat> excuse me, is Foles has a lot of money on his contract. And when you make a trade in the offseason and with the expectation that this person's going to compete for the starting job, you want to test what you have, you know? So I think that's what happened. There was the initial spark and there was a little bit of success initially. Then it plateaued. Foles was inconsistent, made a couple questionable decisions. And there was some, um, some tension between him and Nagy, maybe not like, combative tension but more tension just in terms of play calling and when there's a disconnect I think Matt Nagy had to have a a self um, awareness period where he's like is it my play calling or is it lack of execution it was a mixture of both but as you said going to Bill Lazor I think it's been great for the Bears and it also puts Nagy in a position to be a manager of the team instead of trying to micromanage do you know what I mean especially on the offensive side of the ball I do know what you mean, but I, I, again, I, I'm just I'm really concerned with what the approach of the Bears coaches take. Um, simply because I think a head coach needs to be able to walk and chew gum. That's why they're the head coach, and so if if he really wasn't able to both call the plays and manage the team, and by manage the team, essentially what we're saying is have positive critical decision making which i still i don't know we can debate whether the problem i had with the bears on sunday was bill laser or matt nagy but i am still seeing some problems but to be fair matt nagy has improved earlier in the season we knocked him for calling kind of bonehead timeouts he's been better since he gave up play calling and it seems like just overall there's been a better um just vibe of the bears but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think I agree with you about that Falcons game uh, benching Mitch, but to me, I think if you really thought you needed to bench him, 
wasn't the lesson learned after that game, uh, what Mitch needed to do. Why not give your player a chance? And I think it, it's misattributed. It's a misattributed equality to Nagy to say he's a player's coach if after that one mistake, Mitch didn't even get another chance until Nick Foles was injured. You know, and so I, I just think there's a lot of hypocrisy going on in the way like the media assesses um, Matt Nagy. And here's the other thing is if you felt pressure from the media and fan base, that indicates he's not a strong coach because a coach needs to do the right thing, not what the popular thing is. And that's how you win football games. Right. So it, it just, I'm still concerned, but I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to just keep um, perseverating over um, just the feeling I have about their, um, the state of their staff right now. But I think we got to talk about that interception before we move on from talking about the coaches right like sure sure i I don't don't know if you wanted to talk about that but uh, i really had a problem with just all the questions going at mitch and i think he's fielded them really skillfully but you look at that play that it was essentially that the concept was they wanted to throw a jump ball to Allen robinson kind of like a fade right just Mm -hmm. in class every team in the country runs this in the red zone and they put jp holtz outside of Robinson to be guarded on that side, right? So it's mm-hmm. Holt and Robinson on Mitch's blind side going into the end zone, and they throw a jump ball. So essentially what you just created was the ability for Allen Robinson to get double covered on what's going to be a 50-50 ball. Why not put a player like Jimmy Graham over there and cause a problem for the defense? Put sure. another threat that it's so that the defender has to guard the other threat. And if you – because we saw it happen where the Texans, they threw that jump ball to Jimmy Graham and the bears earlier in the game, tried to set up the same thing with the diamond formation, empty backfield with Jimmy Graham on the, the top of the viewer screen. They tried it and it, it was covered. You know, the Vikings had learned Mike Zimmer knows he goes to school in the bears. He knows that he's not going to allow them the easy play and give it to a, an easy play to Jimmy Graham. He had Jimmy Graham double covered in that formation and that look in the red zone. So later, when they're trying to get that jump ball easy touchdown, they try and throw it to Allen Robinson. But just it was complete mismanagement of personnel and play design that created just an unfavorable decision. So they put Mitch Trubisky in the position where it was more likely than not that he was going to have to make a bad decision. So basically, it was almost a waste of the down. The best decision he could have made based off what the defense did, all connected to the play design was throw the ball away. Mm-hmm. And he is aggressive, and I like it. He fights for his buddies, and he wants to get the ball to his playmakers. He likes Allen Robinson. I think that's clear. Mm-hmm. Like, he liked him, not only as a player, but they're like buddies, they have a good, or they're cool. They have, they have a good rapport. And so mm-hmm. he wants to get the ball to him. And I just think that the coaches really set him up for failure because if he wanted to get the ball to Allen Robinson, put Jimmy Graham over there, or even put like Anthony Miller doing a slant underneath Allen Robinson, something where the defenders have to cover him. Instead sure. of essentially creating a double coverage situation. Well, Drew, I, I hear you, man, and I think your your analysis of Trubisky and Robinson's relationship is true and accurate. Um, I do think that Trubisky played a great game, and I will disagree and say that was the one decision that I think was on him. That was an execution error. Um, I think there was at least two guys on Robinson, and for as good as Robinson is, I don't think Trubisky put enough air on it to air underneath the football to allow it to be a true drum, uh, true jump ball. That being said, I, I, 
I do think that the coaches were more Trubisky friendly this past weekend with play calling in terms of getting him on bootlegs, uh, using the tight ends more. I think I love to see that they're using Komet more. And I also do agree going back to the jump ball that if they really wanted to get it a jump ball, they should have used Graham instead of Robinson because Graham, that's why they that's why they got it. Not instead of Robinson, instead of Holtz. Why instead did they Holtz. put J.P. Holtz next to Robinson on that side? I don't like, know. It, like, Robinson's defender didn't make the interception. It was Holtz's defender. Mm-hmm. Under, like, oh, so you're saying it's a play design flaw, having two guys yeah. in the same spot. Yeah, so that – No, not two guys. Two guys that one of them was J.P. Holtz. Like, <laughs> if it had been Jimmy Graham on that side with Allen Robinson, it, it just would have caused a problem for the defense. Yeah, yeah. So are are you saying that JP Holtz didn't? He's not a threat in the end zone for a jump ball. He's not, and so his defender essentially is able to make sure he doesn't catch it and still help on Allen Robinson. That's not good design. Okay. Well, I agree. Then I agree. I agree. I hear you. But you know, on top, we, we can disagree. I, you know, I'm not here to. Well, I was trying to understand what you're getting at. I, I now I understand. I, I do think that again, Trubisky played a great game. I think that was the best game of the season for him. Um, and then against the Texans, he also played well. Um, but on top of just Trubisky's play, I think we got to really give some kudos to David Montgomery too. How about David Drill? Well, I think he made a statement because they were going up against Dalvin Cook, and Dalvin Cook definitely was he was balling out more than he was in the first game against the Bears. Mm-hmm. But yeah, David Montgomery made a statement. Um, I still have my question. I still think they can make an upgrade for next year at running back. I think they need. You know, you always should be making an upgrade at running back because you've said it before. These guys don't last long in the league anymore. And so yeah, the shelf life um, is like was it three to four years for running back? Typically, the average one. Gosh, if it's that long, I don't know. It may, might be even shorter nowadays. Um, yeah. But, yeah, he, he played well. Yeah, no, he played great. And we, we've been talking about this in the past. The Bears' uh, offensive line coach, Juan Castillo, has finally found a combination that works. And I've read a couple articles, and he's, he doesn't even know why it works, but it works. And you got the two Notre Dame guys with um, Mustafer and uh, Bars, and they're doing a great job. And they're moving the line of scrimmage, which – in the middle of the year when the Bears were decimated with O-line injuries, the Bears were not moving the line of scrimmage. And now that Montgomery's get, getting some space to move and show show us what he's got, it's really – now we see what the Bears were talking about when they drafted him. Well, can I, can I add something to the whole O-line discussion? Mm-hmm. Um, way back when we were talking, I think it was, again, again against that Colts team where they had Jimmy Graham blocking DNs, and we kind of harped on that. They got Cole Komet, who I doubted as a good block. I was kind of, I had my reservations over yeah. whether he could actually block well. A lot of these like great plays are coming from all Cole Komet being able to block for the tight end. Position. For sure. Like, even when they ran those two-man routes, which they should have been doing way more of throughout the season, like when Mitch would get a lot of pressure, they'd have like four or five-man routes, not even the running back helping block on pass protection. Like Cole Komet is looking like that Gronkowski-style tight end which is what we want out of him. He can do pass bro, essentially an extra tackle on the end of the line, unlimited uh, pass route when they have limited guys downfield. And he's also run blocking really well. I mean, how many times is it Matt, uh Leno, and 
Cody Whitehair just creating those holes. Like that's looked really awesome. Well, and that's that's the great thing. The Bears were also the Bears obviously coming going into the offseason last year, they were looking for a tight end. Tight ends are paramount in Nagy's offense. And they weren't getting the production from Adam Shaheen, so he was let go or released. So they picked up Komet out of Notre Dame. And he was he was a great player at Notre Dame, and we're finally seeing what he's all about. On top of him just being a great pass catcher, he's tough as heck. Like, I don't know if you saw it. There's, you need multiple defenders to bring him down sometimes. And I guess in such a finesse-oriented offense, it's nice to see one guy that's a bruiser in terms of Komet. And then we saw a little bit of power also from Montgomery. Uh, what really impressed me about Montgomery, sorry, I know I'm jumping around here, Montgomery showed the explosiveness that we were all wondering about. I mean, he's fast, obviously. Running backs are fast, but he doesn't have burner speed. But the explosiveness that he has on his when he finishes his runs is awesome. And then with Komet, you cited him, him being a blocker. I know you were initially critical of his blocking, but he's been a nice addition, especially. And Bears have two complementary tight ends being Graham, who's the pass, catch, pass catcher and finesse guy, and Komet is kind of a jack of all trades, which is great because he's a rookie and he's going to learn how to. He's just going to only get better. Yeah, and and like I alluded to, he's running those kind of Gronkowski style routes, which I like. You know, like in that red zone play that we, I don't want to think that I'm highly critical of that play, but like it was smart to have Komet do that kind of pop route right in the middle of the field because he can draw that many defenders. So that was good utilization of him. I like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Komet's good. I, I'm I was really impressed with the Bears. It was great to see um, Mooney get a couple touches and use him more. You saw the explosiveness there. Montgomery was great. Um, a Rob made a couple great catches as usual, and Trubisky made a couple really nice throws, especially on the run. Man, he throws a nice ball on the run. And he's he had some good runs. Like he, he is running for his teammates too. Like it's not like the typical quarterback who runs and then slides, even if they don't get the first down. But it's like going to be a fourth and one. Sometimes you'll see a quarterback take it and avoid the hit. Mitch mm-hmm. isn't doing that. Mitch is trying to get these first downs. He's trying to get touchdowns. He's putting it all out there for his team, which I thought was kind of exceptional. Yeah. You know what's also interesting? I don't know if you've watched any of his press conferences, Drew. I know you're on the ball, but uh, I think Trubisky is taking this as like, I want to stick around the league. And, you know, the acronym not for long, meaning for NFL, does apply sometimes. Sometimes guys burn out and he doesn't want to burn out. I think his work ethic has been noted. Uh, people know that he works hard and he's a very earnest and great guy and he works hard. Um, and I think we're seeing that development. I think he, he used that time, like I said last week to develop and try some things in practice. And that I think took the pressure off of him. And now that he's kind of like, well, I have to prove to these people and I'm just going to let it rip. And if it works out great, if it doesn't, then I'll go somewhere else. So it's been great to see. You know, I, I think Trubisky could stick around in Chicago. I think he's got the talent. I think they need to stick with this play calling that they're doing by getting him on boots. Literally, we said this last time we talked about the Vikings. Kirk Cousins doesn't have the physical gifts Trubisky has, but they were putting him on bootlegs and putting him in positions to see the field a lot better. And that's what the Bears literally did this past weekend. And that was exciting. And they simplified it for him. And now they're playing well again. But it's not even just the Vikings. Around the entire league, these bootlegs are becoming so uh, prevalent 
because they're they're able to neutralize one of the biggest weapons that every team has tried to um, develop in in their rosters, and that's these highly touted pass rushers. And so whether it's the the Rams, uh, the Vikings, um, th- there's plenty of teams that do this. They they're moving the pocket because then it neutralizes that pressure that you would put on your tackles. And so it's not because the tackles can't block these guys. It's just, it's a better tool to use. It's a better holistic approach to the game to then move the pocket to, to get, it's an added tool to the toolbox. Right. And so it just makes sense. Like it, it's almost ideological to say that you're going to have no boots. Like it, it doesn't make any sense to not have that at all in your game plan because you don't know what's going to work when you go in to go up against a guy, a team, you know, like it makes sense to have that in the playbook. You're right. That is a key. And it, I don't think it's even about making the reads that much easier. Um, well, I would agree with that, that the reads are easier, but I do think that like, it really helps the offensive line to have, you know, maybe a pass play where you don't have to go one-on-one up against a guy. Right? For like sure. It, for sure. And then it's a more sustainable game then. Like in the fourth quarter, you didn't have to drop back 35 times. Already. <laughs> you know, if you yeah. already dropped back against Von Miller or like Aaron Donald or Khalil Mack, it's going to be easier in the fourth quarter. If you didn't on those pass plays, you didn't have to go one-on-one and stop him from getting a sack. Well, for sure, and so that's a great segue, Drew, right there into the Bears' pass rush on Kirk Cousins. I mean, the Bears got home multiple times this past weekend. Uh, Mac played well. Robert Quinn played well. He he earned his money this past weekend. And, and Bilal Nichols played amazing. Oh yeah, dude, Bilal Nichols was <laughs> he was just a dog out there, man. And it was great to see him do that little dance that everyone's doing, and then he kick it kick down the door. Because uh, you know that dance Justin Jefferson does from the one from uh, uh, New Orleans, right? Yeah, the New the Orleans, New Orleans, yeah. New Orleans dance. Was it the gritty yeah, or the the gritty? I think it's called or something. Yeah. Gritty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah. No, I, it was great to see. I, I mean, I the Bears definitely played well defensively this past weekend. Um, obviously, the Vikings put up some points, but that's going to happen when you have the best running back in the league in Dalvin Cook. Um. But you know what I felt when I was watching Kirk Cousins, especially with that pass rush, he looked panicked. He could he, he it was like the game was too fast for him. Like I don't think Kirk Cousins is a bad quarterback. I just think sometimes the game speeds up for him too much sometimes and he gets overwhelmed and he misses guys. I mean, there was a play where Jordan Jefferson was wide open in the end zone and he yelled some expletives when he didn't get the ball thrown his way or he, Kirk Cousins missed him. I don't know if you saw that footage, but that's all the Bears. The Bears were physical out there, and they were getting home, and there were a couple hits on Cousins that were really hard. Yeah, they were good, and I think what that really highlighted was the defensive secondary for the Bears stepping up because we had, we had thought when we recorded last that the secondary was going to be fine, but then we learned that Jalen Johnson was going to be out, and I think even – I forgot who else they had. Um, they, they lost a few guys, and so – we saw players Kendall Vildor, who's a rookie, come up. And he played well. If you watched the broadcast, you were probably thinking, oh, he made a mistake. He didn't make a mistake. The guy pushed off. That's the only reason there was that um, catch, right? And so he played overall pretty dang good for 
being a rookie that was primarily a special teamer the entire year getting called on due to a depth chart issue. And so I think whenever you see pass rush um, come out against a team that hangs their hat on play action, you can usually attribute that to the defensive secondary taking care of business on the back end. Um, that that's just that's a good sign for the future. And I I, I want I, I want to make a point here about how I think that the way that the defense performed and the fact that the offense is clicking now, I think that kind of Ryan Pace, all the noise about calling for Ryan Pace's job, I think he's kind of put that to bed. I, I like where this roster is right now. You can see what his strategy was and. It, when you see depth chart players come into games after being special teamers and, and for a lack of a better phrase, ball out, <laughs> you, you got to admit, Ryan Pace knows what he's doing. And I, I like what he's done over the past few years. And maybe earlier in the year we were critical, but I think, I, I don't know where you stand on this, David. And I'd like to hear where you stand on it based off what the defense did in the past couple of weeks and what the offense is doing. What do you think of Ryan Pace? You know, I think Ryan Pace has done some a lot of good by he's done more good than bad, to be honest with you. I think he's gotten some nice pieces onto the roster. He's found some diamonds in the rough in like Tariq Cohen and Darnell Mooney. You can tell they're going for a speed finesse kind of game instead of physicality. Um, I believe Ryan Pace's real knack is on the defensive side of the ball, to be honest with you. I think, uh, you know, he's obviously made big trades for Cleo Mack. I think uh, he's added some pieces with um, Jalen Johnson, who's had a phenomenal year for a rookie. Uh, adding Eddie Jackson, that was an amazing pick. I don't know, have no idea how we got him in the fourth round. Um, and, you know, just picking up pieces on the defensive line that he's signed either by free agency or drafted. I mean, he's done a phenomenal job. The one person I was really bummed about that they let go was Leonard Floyd. I don't think we fault we we allowed him to keep growing. I know they they picked up his option, the fifth year option, and that was a prove it year. But he went elsewhere, and he's having a great year with the Rams. So, all in all, I think Pace has done enough to stick around for another year because I think his contract is, I believe, on a two year deal, and then Nagy has got one more deal, one more year, or vice versa. Anyway, just a second. Yeah, no, I think Nagy's done well enough to stick – or, excuse me, Pace has done well enough to stick around. Um, he uh, obviously has brought a lot of pieces in, and I think that there is enough talent on this roster to be competitive. What I think needs to happen, though, moving forward is the offensive coordinating or play calling needs to get in sync with the personnel, and we're starting to see what it could look like if you're in sync, and it's fun to watch, so – I do think Pace has done well enough to stick around, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, we will see what happens. And I, I think if you're trying to improve your team in the offseason, you have to be honest and you have to think, what what do we have to do to improve our team? And I think the biggest thing in football that is a mistake made, regardless of level from like Pop Warner up through the pros, is having an overreaction to trying to solve a problem in, in, in the search for a solution to a problem so i don't know I, I land on the side where i kind of hope they kind of keep pace maybe try a different head coach maybe i don't know we don't know we don't know the real state because the business isn't transparent but th that's what i would like to see and then the bears franchise can really decide where the problem was you know it seems like making a change at head coach might be something that 
still keeps stability on in the organization and for the team. You know, maybe you uh, promote from within, maybe you don't, maybe you get somebody who's going to keep on the defensive staff, something like that might be a, a strategic move. But before we move on, we, we have to, we have to acknowledge Roquan Smith not making the Pro Bowl, and that, I think that's high, kind of tied to pay a discussion about. Yeah, pace. I mean, he has such good evaluation of defensive talent, like mm-hmm. you said, and he should have. I mean, Roquan Smith is leading; he's ahead of the other inside linebackers and tackles in the NFC that got chosen for the Pro Bowl. So, what do you think about the Pro Bowl in general, David? And why why is it that every year when we hear about the roster? fans across the country get frustrated over who's not on the roster. Why, why is that? I think it just comes down to popularity and the player's brand. I mean, half the battle is, would this be much watch TV and how can we get people to watch the Pro Bowl? Over the years, the Pro Bowl used to be really competitive back in the olden days. <laughs> Sounding old school there, but you know, now it's more of a, it's an honor to receive a Pro Bowl invitation. You get a little money for it, and it's a job well done. But obviously, with the money tied to players, they're not going to go all out in the game itself. That being said, um, you know Roquan is very deserving, and I mean, he, I'd make an argument that he's either he's going to be in the same category as Khalil Mack at, at some point but he's probably the Bears' either best or second-best defensive player. Um, he did get snubbed, and I don't know why. Maybe people just don't know who he is. I mean, people know who he is, but maybe outside of Chicago, people don't understand how good he actually is. You cited that he led the Bears in tackles. and I mean, there, there are plays with him where his effort and motor and speed are just insane. There was a couple plays where he tracked down Dalvin Cook from behind. And that's just all effort. Or even, I think, I can't remember which Vikings player caught it, but they ran a tunnel screen, which if anybody knows what a tunnel screen is, usually that play is designed to kind of cut up the seam, kind of like right where the linebackers usually are. They use kind of like a play-action tunnel screen pass out to um, the defensive right side. And Roquan went from the opposite side of the center all the way to turn that play back up the sideline and I think make the tackle. Mm-hmm. And that's just like an incredible athletic play. Like that is something where it's like you're when you're running a tunnel screen, usually you're not counting on the inside linebacker on the other side of the field making the tackle. And usually it's like maybe a safety or a backside safety or maybe like the corner fights off a block. It's usually not the linebacker who bit on the play action right like right. that was crazy but you know i think that your analysis is correct about the pro bowl and how it's kind of arbitrary but i think it's kind of getting at a deeper question about the influence of um advanced statistics and how it's impacting our the fans perception of the game because if you look on pro football focus Roquan wouldn't be in your top linebackers at least at mid mid to late mid season you know he wasn't even in the top five mm-hmm. if i recall and so but i think undoubtedly on on the traditional stats of tackles he certainly would be mm-hmm. right right and so I, I think there's something maybe this is going to warrant a longer discussion but 
I think at some point we need to say, you know, tackles and touchdowns are what matter. And all you can add so many filters to a statistic to make someone look like the best. But at the end of the day, let's focus on what makes football football. Right, right. And I mean, some and to that end, Drew, like sometimes players aren't going to end up on the stat sheet. Their influence, you know, whether they draw double teams and it opens up a potential for, you know, another person to get a sack or stuff in that, in that regard, I think. And I, Roquan is very deserving. I, I, that might be, I'd put that in the top three picks for pace. Um, he really found a great player and, you know, he definitely got snubbed. I mean, the bears only walked away with two people getting pro bowl invites being Khalil Mack and Cordell Patterson. And um, I think Allen Robinson. Okay. Yeah. So your top three picks are one, Hieronymus Grisou, two, Mitchell Trubisky, and three, Roquan Smith? <laughs> I'd probably say Eddie Jackson, number one, Tariq Cohen, number two, and Roquan, number three. Or I'd put Tariq at three and then Roquan, number two. Eddie Jackson's an all pro, was an all-pro last year. It, yeah, it's hard to disagree with that list. I might just disagree with the ordering. I might put Roquan number one, Eddie Jackson number two. And, yeah, I'll give it to Tariq. He, he, was, he was a great pick because of where they got him. Right. right. Like, that was a steal, and so I agree. But I think just, like, in I think Eddie Jackson, if he had picked him in the first round, I would have been saying that was a great pick, right? And, but if they had picked Tariq Cohen in – the like, I don't know, 10th overall, I might disagree with it, right? Like, so mm-hmm. I think that he gets a little bit, that was a great find, but I think overall picks though, like Eddie Jackson and Roquan, if they took them like, you know, in the first round in the top 10 picks, which Ro- Roquan was, right? I think he mm-hmm. was, was he the 10th pick? He was the Bears' first 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 round draft pick, I think three years ago. Yeah, somewhere around 10, but yeah, yeah they're definitely there. But, but we got to talk about the Jags. Um, mm-hmm. What are, you, what are you thinking about this game? This I think it's going to go favorably for the Bears, and I say that in the standpoint of over this past weekend, the New York Jets won their first game of the season against the L.A. Chargers. Um, I think that uh, – or excuse me, L.A. Rams. Um, I think that the – man, the, the Jets didn't do themselves any favors, and I say that because they were poised to get the first-round draft pick this upcoming draft, and – all indications, all indications point to Trevor Lawrence being the first-round draft pick, and some folks are saying that he's as good of a quarterback prospect coming out of college as Peyton Manning. Um, and now that the the Jets are most likely not going to get the first-round draft pick, our first pick, and now that falls to the Jaguars. So I don't see the Jaguars being totally engaged in this game or throwing all the stops out at the Bears. I think the Bears are riding a two-game winning streak, and if they win this past weekend, that will show a lot of progress this year and resiliency. Uh, the Jaguars obviously have some pieces in Miles Jack, the really talented linebacker out of UCLA, and uh, your boy out of Rock, Rock Island, Drew, who you're mentioning. Before yeah, we James talk- Robinson is a high-quality rusher. He's got over 1,000 yards this season. And if you go back through, if you average it out, when he was at Illinois State for, I think, four seasons, he averaged over those four years 1,000 yards a season. And I think even before that, he was doing that in high school at Rockford Lutheran. So that he's a consistent running back um, in the aggregate. Uh, and, yeah, you're right. Maybe the Jags – 
lay down, but you know, people probably would have made that argument about the Jets last week against the Rams. They would have said, "There's no way they try to beat the Rams." That'd be mm-hmm. that'd be illogical to do that. You got Trevor Lawrence coming down into uh, the Jets organization. Why would they ever try and beat the Rams? But then they did, right? So, I, you know, maybe for some reason the Jags think that you know they don't need Trevor Lawrence. Maybe they can get who they want. You know, their scouts, maybe for some reason they don't agree, and maybe they think they can get who they want in the second pick. Yeah, you know, uh, interesting. You know, they, they might come and try and win. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it wouldn't shock me. 2020 has been a weird year. But, <laughs> um, I mean, the, the two quarterbacks ideally coming out of college this year are uh, Justin Fields out of Ohio State and Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson. Both are Georgia natives. And Jacksonville's right there, so it'd be a fit for either player. I'm sure that's an enticing thing for either player. Um, the Jets obviously have some front office stuff they need to figure out, which we'll talk about another day. But the Jaguars are definitely probably an enticing location for either quarterback. I think also, and I say that and I preface that because when the Jaguars go into the game this weekend, they want to get their guy because they could get potential new fans from Georgia. And it one of these guys will give them marketability, you know, having one of these touted quarterbacks being Fields or Lawrence. So you do bring it up an interesting point. Uh, and I say that because they could, they can go wrong with either guy. Both are great quarterbacks. I think they were one and two coming out of high school in terms of what their quarterback ranking was for recruiting. So. Yeah. And the, the, the good thing too is if you do if you are comfortable having that other quarterback in the second pick, you don't really have a threat from Cincinnati now. Like Cincinnati is even if either of these teams wins, is locked in to that uh, pretty much locked in to that third pick, right? Because yeah. they have the tie. Um, and so if you're comfortable, you know, may, may, maybe you're able to then have a favorable culture in the locker room if the guy's like a a few metrics away from a a bonus a statistical bonus you know then you can say hey go and get your bonus you know we, we are comfortable with that pick and we don't know if the gm even has that involved of a take in these nfl clubs if they do that we don't know we're not general managers in the nfl but if i was looking at this game a week ago before the jets won i would have said this is classic trap game mm-hmm. <laughs> For the Bears and the fact that you could see a trap game for the Bears against the Jags on the Jags F1 game, I think would have been crazy to hear. But I think you're right. The Bears are going to win this one despite Jacksonville having really high quality players like Miles Jack. Miles Jack is amazing. You're, mm-hmm. you're right to bring him up. Like, he is a great player and he is a competitor and he plays hard. He plays fast. He can cover. He, he's a sideline to sideline linebacker, much in the way that Roquan Smith is. And you know, the question is, will this offense be able to, uh, for the Jags, be able to put up anything against our defense, mm-hmm. right? Like, the Bears' defense is playing their best they have in four weeks or so. And right. so it would be a major step back to allow James Robinson to get those yards that we were discussing after having – they didn't shut down Dalvin Cook last week, but they made the plays when they needed them to be made. Right, like in the critical yards, they made the plays, and that's kind of like that's an aspect of bend don't break defenses that exists across any team. Like when you need to make that fourth and one stop, you make it. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I got the Bears. Um, I, I think it's, I, I think it's going to be a blowout. I think that's like that's easy 
to call for me right now, just because I think, not because I think Jacksonville is not going to compete. I think that they're going to compete in the first half, and it's going to be close going into halftime. But I think in the third quarter, I think Mitch is just going to go off. You got Allen Robinson going to his old team, ready, poised for some touchdowns. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it works out that way. You know, guys love to get up against their old team. So I think you'll have Robinson with at least two touchdowns. I think Mitch is going to have three touchdowns passing. And I, I, you got to give it David, David Montgomery. You think he's not going to score a touchdown? Right. And so I think the Bears are looking at at least 30 points against the Jags, who I think will put up 10. Um, so I'll take the Bears 31, Jags 10. What do you got, David? Bears 3-1, Jags 10. Okay, I, I've got the Bears. I, I, I feel that. That's a good score prediction right there. I think Bears will put up at least 30. Uh, I don't think the Jaguars will do much. Uh, they're getting Garner Menchu back, who was their starting quarterback initially heading into the season, and they were high on him. Got injured. Glennon step, uh, stepped in and, um, you know, <laughs> Was a was a body out there, um, but uh, you know I, I'm gonna say Bears thirty. I'm gonna go Jaguars like six. Whoa, whoa, okay, thirty to six. That that would be great. Heading into that Packers game mm-hmm. to hold the Jags to six, that and would be amazing. What would also be interesting is if the Bears won. So okay, Drew, real quick. So they'd be eight and seven, right? So they'd. Uh, they'd be one game above 500 heading into the Packers game. Packers have already clinched a division title. I am curious, would the Packers play their starters the following week? That would be a massive, massive benefit to the Bears if they didn't start Rodgers. We'll, we can talk about this next week. But... No, no, hold, hold on, though. we we got to cover it this week for one reason, because this week – is what's going to determine how the Packers make that decision because it's all going to come down to what the first seed is. If they have the first seed locked in, they have no chance to play the Bears in the wild card round. I think if they think they really have the Bears and they think Rodgers can bury this team, I wouldn't be surprised if if they're locked into that two seed. Maybe you do sit everybody and say, "Yeah, we'll get you. We'll get you next week." Right? Mm-hmm. Like we'll win the game that counts. Right. right. And, and so they might, I know a lot of people hate when teams play with picking your opponent because you pick your opponent and then you'll lose to the team you picked. Mm-hmm. It's never a bad look. But, you know, if I was that Packers team and I had the chance to play, and I, and I thought that Aaron Rodgers could beat this team handedly, I probably would sit them and say, yeah, I'll beat you in the wild card round. That said, mm-hmm. if, they're, if they're locked in to the first seat, I think Rodgers has got to play at least a half because I think it's just he is a competitor and he would love to hand the Bears an eight and eight season. And yeah. if he's able to put up like three or four touchdowns in the first half, isn't that just Rodgers? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think the Packers organization would love to bear the Bears. I know some organizations are more conservative about how they use their roster rather than others. And we'll see. I get the Bears got to win this week first. Because so. even if even if the Rodgers twists his ankle, he's got a week to rehab that if they yeah. have that number one seat, you know? Yeah, I mean, Rodgers has played with a lot of injuries, and he's still won. The dude's incredible. <laughs> but, yeah, so you heard it here. Bears are going to win this weekend. Hopefully tune in on Sunday as they play the Jacksonville Jaguars at noon. And uh, we'll catch you next week. <laughs>